in terms of battery technology, it's not only about electric vehicles. I think really a very important transformative technology to help us fight climate change. That's kind of really the big picture here. We're so happy to have Tesla as our partner. It just really means something if Tesla picks Dalhousie University as their exclusive research partner. And uh, it's amazing to be a part of that. Anchored by our maritime history and shaped by the ocean, Halifax, Nova Scotia is a breath of fresh, salty air. Humble, vibrant, and surrounded by natural wonder. It's an ecosystem for innovation and the ultimate backdrop for your event. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, a podcast about the unique and unparalleled local expertise, innovation and infrastructure of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome to the Discover Halifax podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Paul Bailey. Today, we've got a very interesting conversation with two future leaders and global thought leaders when it comes to battery technology. I'm super excited to have them here with me today as they really grow on the depth of expertise that Nova Scotia has had when it comes to batteries and storage since the 1950s. We'll have a chance to see a real meaningful upgrade when it comes to the thinking in this area. With me today is Dr. Qianyan Yang. He's the Tesla Canada Research Chair, and he's been working on materials and devices for energy conversion and storage for over 10 years, and he's now at Dalhousie University. Also with me is Dr. Michael Metzger. He's the Hertzberg Don Chair, and he received his diploma at the Technical University of Munich before making his way to Nova Scotia. He's also collaborated with groups such as BASF and BMW. Gentlemen, thank you for coming in and welcome. Thrilled to be here. Thanks, yeah. Paul. This is really exciting for me. We're breaking a couple bits of new ground on this podcast today. First of all, for all the listeners that have listened to any of the other podcasts, it's usually been a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And today I've actually got two guests with me. So I think we have a good chunk of Canada's talent base when it comes to some areas that are of key concern, I think, to not only Nova Scotians and Haligonians, but the world. We're talking about lithium-ion batteries today. We're talking about climate change. But more importantly, what gets me so excited is we're talking about ways where we're going to be using thinking that changes the, the deployment of something as simple as a battery. And I, I say that, and my guests are nodding, but batteries I don't think are anything but simple. As we get into this, Michael, maybe I'll just start with you, and you can give me a bit of a lay of the land, because I start to see things like aqueous batteries and lithium-ion and nickel metal and all these other terms, something about salination and all these other things. <laughs> maybe you can give us a bit of a lay of the land in, in the area that you play in. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to. First off, I think both Chong Yin and I were really thrilled to be here. Our first podcast, it's really nice, I think, the forum that you guys put up for us, and we're very happy to be involved. So yeah, we do really work on all aspects of batteries at Dalhousie University, but our main focus is on the core technology, which is currently used in electric vehicles and energy storage products, and that is lithium-ion batteries. So, you know that is a battery that uses an intercalation compound on the cathode where lithium ions can go in. It uses an electrolyte to transport lithium ions. 
And as the negative electrode, it uses graphite typically. So that's really the battery that's been commercialized since 1991. And that's still the workhorse battery in these applications that I mentioned. But the battery field is pretty hot at the moment. <laughs> and there are definitely things that attract a lot of attention. You know, solid state batteries, anode-free cells. And I have a little project also on desalination batteries, which maybe we'll come to later. But uh, yeah, we're working on all these various topics, but our main focus is really on the bread and butter technology, which is uh, lithium ion batteries. And that's what's so interesting, you know, to me, this is so new tech. And like you said, 1991, lithium ion batteries kind of start to come onto the scene a little bit. But we're only talking about 30 years. And we look at what has happened in those 30 years. And we look at what's happened in terms of uptake. And in some ways, humanity's kind of putting and pinning its future a little bit here, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. when we talk about transportation and, and energy storage. Big time, uh, yeah. And to that end, what I see is I see what you're doing is truly bleeding edge. This is relatively new stuff. And then to that end, Chon Yen, when I look at what you're doing in terms of trying to find a way to build these batteries where it's lower cost and longer lifetime, that seems to be the second part of the equation. Yeah. So all these batteries, we are trying to push that because we just want a more eco-friendly way to transport, right? But there always are some kind of concern because building batteries is actually very un-eco-friendly a little bit currently because we heavily depend on specific materials right now, especially some heavy transition metals, which is real and expensive now. So if we really want to push this industry, right now it's like 40 billion US dollar industry right now for the design battery. So if we really expect it will grow to like 10, 100 billion or even larger in the future, sometimes in a trillion dollar industry, we want to discover more sustainable way to do that because we're, we're probably gonna run out of all the lithium we got we definitely will run out of all the transition metal if we pushing 50% of the car into the EV. So yeah, that's a very important work to me because you don't want to like stay on this stage right now. You're just trying to figure out what's the next generation battery material should be. And to that end, I'm absolutely in awe of some of the brain power in this room, you know. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm here to say I, I've got two guys that are super smart and I'm here asking questions. It almost feels wrong, but uh, transition metals. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what exactly that is and, and maybe that'll help frame up why we're trying to get those out of batteries. Yeah, you just talk about the nickel, right? Mm -hmm. So nickel, cobalt especially. So we heavily rely on cobalt at the beginning, since like 10 years ago because every battery in our cell phone is using cobalt. So cobalt is kind of crazy right now, the price. And the way we're getting cobalt is a little bit of trouble. So um, right. Uh, so for the last 10 years, we're pivoting to use more nickel, which is another same thing, because if we tends to use more nickel, the nickel price can go up. And nickel is not abandoned element to us, right? So it's going to be a 
a trouble in the end. So we need to think ahead for that. And this is the cool part, having the dynamic duo here, because on one <laughs> side, we're trying to take certain metals out of the batteries and we're trying to work that. And then Michael, the other side is mm -hmm. really understanding the aging mm -hmm. of these batteries and, and figuring out how to, I guess, enhance the, the lifespan mm -hmm. of these batteries. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yes. And, uh, you know, Paul, I mean, you are actually doing a great job here because asking the questions sometimes is the hardest part. <laughs> hey, but, thank you. <laughs> uh, and you're asking good questions. So, you know, lifetime, that's something we are really concerned with because, you know, you mentioned the transformative scale we are looking at here, you know, really going away from internal combustion engines and coal and gas plants to battery electric vehicles and more renewable energy, right? So for that, we just need massive battery storage. So Chong Yin already mentioned more sustainable materials that should go into these cells, which will be very important. So that's one aspect we're really heavily focusing on. The second aspect is cost. Of course, cost needs to be attractive for every new, we say battery chemistry. So for a new materials mix that goes into the battery. And then lifetime, as you said, you know, you can't compromise on lifetime because you don't want to replace your battery in the electric vehicle over and over again. If you think about stationary storage and you have a photovoltaic device on your roof that lasts 20 years, you want to couple it with a battery that also lasts a long time. And then just to mention it, the fourth thing, which also there's no question it's probably the most important one is safety. So especially for vehicle applications. So these four things are like our key concerns, right? And to your lifetime question, we are so fortunate to work with a guy like Jeff who has this vast knowledge, yes. right? And so much experience in the battery field. And his dream that he, uh, Jong-in can maybe also comment that he uh, mentions more often recently is a century battery lifetime, you know, a battery wow. that can last a century. I mean, how awesome would that be, right? If you buy an electric vehicle, you maybe change the car, but you take the battery with you, you know, or, you know, have an energy storage product that just lasts so long, you don't need to worry about it, right? So that's where we want to go. And actually, there are quite encouraging results in our lab. So, you know, hopefully we can publish on these things also very soon. Chanyan, Jeff is, he is very much the guy leading the way. And now the two of you being on board in terms of having your chairs and all the work that you're doing within the lab, that century battery vision, that would be, I don't even know how to describe it. That that would change everything. <laughs> yeah. So it actually also changed the narrative we are talking about the sustainable. Because if you can build a battery around for a century, like Michael said, it even can run out of like cars and you can still take in this same battery into the next car, it also solves the problem of sustainable problem, right? And um, people are always talking about how expensive these EV cars right now. But it's only because these batteries are expensive in a way of manufacturing. If we can just use that for a few decades, five decades, mm -hmm. the price will drop, right? So it kind of solved every problem we are talking about right now. So it's a really good vision. You know, Jeff is a pioneer of this lithium battery. So he's just focused on the future as well. So I'm so glad we, we are working on mm -hmm. with him. And that's so exciting. You know, when you look at completely redefining the relationship between, say, the vehicle 
and the battery. In my mind, I'm picturing something like when I take my little one to go and maybe get a toy and you got to put the batteries in sold separately. But, you know, that's not dissimilar to, <laughs> you know, where we're seeing it go, where there's different capacities of batteries that can put in various vehicles or storage units or things like that, where you can really custom tailor your needs around the infrastructure within the vehicle, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, we're going to get into some of your corporate sponsors here specifically Tesla, because that's just super exciting. But I won't, I won't limit myself there. But when I start looking at what all manufacturers are doing around batteries, there seems to be right now that tie between the weight of a vehicle and performance and the size of the batteries. What you're talking about is decoupling that a little bit. Are you not? First of all, it's really awesome. You know, Tesla has been able to really yeah. lead the way here. And then there are companies like VW, BMW, you know, really all over the world, other car companies are starting to convert their fleet to electric, which is just what we need. I mean, you mm -hmm. mentioned it in the beginning, right? That we are really facing the consequences of climate change already, right? And I just read actually this new IPCC report that just came out, you know, and it's, it's definitely getting real and we need to act now. So that's why it's really awesome that companies are moving to electric vehicles more and more. And now you mentioned, you know, there's a whole range of vehicles that you right. want to electrify. So, and I think there is not a one size fits all solution for your battery in terms of the chemistry. So there are cars where you cannot afford to have a very heavy battery pack. There are cars that should go a long distance. So in these cars, you probably want to have high-end batteries that are based on this high nickel recipe that Chong Yin was mentioning. Mm -hmm. But then you can have other cars that are more for the mass market, which maybe don't need a very long driving range. And they can have iron-based batteries, which is something we're also working on. And it's a much cheaper material has decent energy density and is a good solution for such vehicles. So, you know, there are many options out there, which is great. Also great for us because we can work <laughs> on, you know, a broad space of materials and very interesting chemistries. And I think it's important to work on all of them. As a gearhead, you know, I'm, I'm watching this very closely because I'm very excited about what can come mm -hmm. through electrification. Full disclosure, there's a car in my garage that converts dinosaurs to noise, and it's a lot of fun to drive. <laughs> but when you get that instant torque and all that power, that's just awesome. Mm -hmm. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm watching that personally as well. I think this would be a good time to note the fact that your lab is one of few, very, very few, that has attracted global attention. Tesla's come on board, and we're talking, you know, over $3 million of investment in Halifax at this lab by Tesla in the last couple of years. And it's just been renewed. That's huge. It's amazing for us, really. We're so happy to have Tesla as our partner, you know, and they are mission-driven. They are extremely committed, extremely clever people, and it's just awesome to work with them. I think it really speaks, I think probably not so much to to the work that we've been doing so far because we're just here since January, yeah. but to the work that Jeff <laughs> has been do, done in the past. I mean, it just really means something if Tesla picks Dalhousie University 
as their exclusive research partner. And uh, it's amazing to be a part of that. And Xian Yan, how, how does that make you feel? You go to work and there's various groups that obviously support Dalhousie in a ton of different areas. Being a Dalhousie grad myself, every time I walk through the halls, you see all the different partnerships that are taking place at the various incubators or labs or that type of thing. But Tesla, you're working in a lab that is sponsored and like Michael said, exclusively. Yes. Proud, I can say, but also stressful. <laughs> <laughs> no. I second that. Yeah. Because I think what Tesla do, or even I can talk about the Elon Musk do, everything he did is just visionary, right? So he's not first, Tesla is not first company to trying to commercialize EVs, right? We did it, Toyota did it a long time ago. But he is a person really pushing this lithium battery powered EV to the market and make it a case so that all these like car companies just followed. That's a, really a something, right? So it takes some vision to do that. Seems as a SpaceX, but we're not talking about it today. So uh, talk about the partnership. So what Tesla want to do is pretty present. So they want to what the market want, right? So they want long-range, high-end cars. So Jeff kind of helped with that to deliver it. Right now, they want to pivot to the more commercial-based, like everybody can drive car. And yeah, they, they just did it. So we are so proud to in this partnership. And hopefully, we're just in six months, right? So hopefully in the next five years, we can also do the same thing with Jeff and help them to push the good battery into the market and help them or help the whole battery community to make this a big battery industry right, in the future. So help change the world. <laughs> well, I think you've got tremendous momentum. You know, we, t we talk about for you to have momentum, first you have to break that static and actually establish that. You have to break through and get that ball rolling. Uh, Mary Grace, I talk about her a lot in these podcasts. She's going to be seven in September. And what shook me is when I was growing up, it would be a Corvette or a Trans Am on the poster. Now, you know, my little girl, what gets her excited is when she sees a Model 3 or a Model X. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is, she sees that, but so do all her friends. Yeah. Like that's a huge change. To the point where she's asking what's happening with Nissan Leafs and, like I said, the various Tesla models and whether you get into things like Chevy Bolt. It doesn't really matter. But if it's electric, mm -hmm. they're super excited. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's a really cool change because it's, it's making its way through culture. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And to that end, the other part is we talk a lot about vehicles here. But the research you do, there's other applications mm -hmm. outside of vehicle. Uh, sure. Michael, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, and then I'll go back over to Yan as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe first off, you know, when your daughter starts driving, you will have to explain her that we used to drive all these weird cars where smoke is coming out of the pipe, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes uh, I hope I have the opportunity for her to try one with gas, <laughs> but at the same time... She is laser focused on electric. Yeah. And, and which is cool. Yes. And as you said, you know, I mean, it's just important. Chong Yun also mentioned this. You can't be an idealist really when you 
I mean, I can't speak for the folks at Tesla, but when you create a company like that, right, you have to really um, make a product that people want and a product that's attractive and a product that's competitive. And that's what they do. And people love these cars, right, for mm -hmm. a reason. You know, also it's like, we're obviously talking about the drivetrain a lot, but also, you know, I mean, it's just a, a really nice all-around experience, I think. My brother just bought a Model 3 and nice. <laughs> he is a gearhead like you also, you know, it keeps uh, talking to me about all the crazy features. But okay, but, um, you know, in terms of battery technology, it's not only about electric vehicles, you're right. It's, I think really a, a very important transformative technology to help us fight climate change. You know, that's kind of, I think, really the big picture here. And uh, we see it as a technology that can enable sustainable mobility, but also, and that's another big focus of ours, a technology that can enable allowing for more renewable energy in the grid. Because if you have solar, if you have wind, you just need to be able to store the energy when there's no power generation. There are, of course, several ways to do that, but one important pillar in this whole picture is batteries, large grid scale batteries. And then, you know, some of these technologies that we were mentioning are probably not the best. You know, maybe you want a very cheap battery that is maybe water-based. There are innovative companies like Salient Energy, one of the companies here in the whole Nova Scotia battery ecosystem that develops these uh, zinc ion batteries they no longer use lithium and they basically if i'm informed correctly use a water-based electrolyte in their system so it's very eco-friendly you know the energy density is not as high as what you would like for a car but it's great if you put it all in a container somewhere next to a wind farm right so um yeah to me um mobility and stationary storage are the biggest applications for batteries right since the consumer electronics market is already dominated by batteries. So that's, of course, something we are all aware with our iPhones, which is really also another super important uh, segment for batteries. Right. It's interesting you talk about that. And this is an area that I did my own Google research, which might I add, you know, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of disclaimers around this. But when you start talking about the different uses for batteries, part of it, I guess, has to do with how fast you need to discharge and charge the mm -hmm. battery, mm -hmm. which leads to different uh, chemical makeups and different configurations. If you've got that constant slow generation of, I don't know, a wind turbine, for mm -hmm. lack of better terms, that's mm -hmm. very different than having to discharge a battery super quick if you're in a P100D doing <laughs> insane acceleration. Or if you have a power tool in your hand, right? right? So power drill, I mean, that's another big application for batteries. So you're totally right, yes. There are, it's actually interesting that batteries need to span various technologies and be uh, tailored towards these applications. So you need batteries that can discharge really fast, other batteries that can provide energy over a very long time. So there are different applications, yes. And Chiang Yen, looking at storage specifically, I've seen things like the Tesla wall, which is really, really cool. I'd love to have one in my house if anyone's listening who can help me with that. But more importantly, you know, I look at those and what Michael's talking about in terms of the grid, that changes the whole thought process behind that as well. It's not something where it's just downloaded into my house. I'm actually being able to push back onto the grid. Yeah, you know, for all these so-called smart grid, 
you need to have a large pool to storage the battery because you are using like wind power, using solar power. Like solar power, you can only get during the daytime, right? How about if we use like, let's say 50% from the solar power, how are we gonna power our house during the night, right? You need a storage. And the lithium battery is probably the best solution right now to storage the energy with the highest density. That's why lithium technology is so attractive. And for the smoke gray, so right now the gray is not so stable as we know, right? So sometimes we are harvesting power from like far away place, but we need to distribute it to the big cities. It creates stress to the gray. So it's always better if you have some like storage in every corner to buffer this kind of stress for the grade, that's so-called the smart grade. So I think still the lithium battery storage like Tesla do for mm -hmm. the, like is still the best way to do that. But there's still other technology available and we are trying to develop. So hopefully we will have some better solution in the future. <laughs> but now we are sticking on the lithium battery. Are you ready to jump in and learn more? Stay tuned for the second half of the conversation and then visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to get the full story on why Halifax, Nova Scotia makes perfect sense for your next event. But that, that's the interesting part about all this, you know, what your research is basically leading to. I, I see it almost as a series of microgrids yeah. where my house can actually become yeah. part of the solution. Even your Tesla car, right. if you park in the house, connect to the grid, it, it's part of the Tesla war, right? So, Well, and that's the interesting part about this, you know. Here in Nova Scotia, we're very lucky that, you know, unless a hurricane blows through the grids, it's it's pretty okay. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's pretty okay. But having the ability to do that instead of run out, gas up a generator, hope it starts, pull on the cord a million times, and then, you know, regret my decision to buy one and then pull on it another hundred times. This is a lot easier. You know, if I've got the power in-house either to store that energy created in the daytime mm -hmm. or during windy periods or during a power outage, like that's that's absolutely huge. And that has global implications. Yeah, sure. Energy is always the first priority, right? So if we have another pool to storage the electrical energy, we probably can pivot and then use more like renewable energy in the future. That's a huge impact, even bigger than using more EV for our environment, right? So that's a very nice thing if we trying to build up more storage facilities. Well, that's the thing. It's a whole ecosystem where we're looking at buildings, we're looking at transportation, we're looking at all the elements that kind of drive that. We'll have to come up with a, I don't know, a lithium ion powered cow at some point there. Cause <laughs> I, but, but at the same time, I, I see where that's going and your research touches all the areas of somebody's life potentially. From the time I wake up in the morning and I get my hot water for my shower, all the way through to uh, getting to work and back and, and everything else. Maybe we could switch gears just a little bit. I'd love to know, Michael, how did you get where you are? Because <laughs> this seems something, you know, the conversation to date that we've had here has talked very much about these huge life and world-changing technologies. But how did Michael get there? Like, <laughs> like, it must be a heck of a journey. Well, on the drive here, I think Chong Yin and I both said it's so crazy that we 
are part of this now and ended up here in Halifax, you know. So um, by training, I'm a physicist. I studied in Germany at the Technical University of Munich. And then I did a PhD at the same university in technical electrochemistry. So that's specialization at the faculty of chemistry there. So it's kind of this mix of physics and chemistry where really I think batteries are located in a way. I mean, there's also a lot of engineering in batteries. That's another big component. So it's really kind of a multidisciplinary thing, I think. But yeah, then after that, I went for about three years to California, worked uh, you know in the Silicon Valley tech industry. Also on batteries, it was pretty exciting, you know, because I got to work with startups there and there are actually many innovative companies in the battery space that develop uh, exciting technologies that are maybe a bit far out there, but we need those innovators. So that was a great time. And then, yeah, I was extremely fortunate to find my way back into academia and come here in the beginning of 2021. So basically, Jeff contacted me and asked if I wouldn't want to apply for this position and I'll put together the package. One thing led to the next and here we are. So definitely, I never kind of uh, lost track of what's happening in battery research in academia. I was always pretty much hooked to this ever since I did my PhD. And I have to say that there were you know, so many great mentors that we have in our battery field. It's really a nice community, I would say. Uh, and, you know, I was very fortunate to work with my PhD advisor, Hubert Gasteiger in Germany. And also in that time, I already interacted a little bit with Jeff. And then also during my time in California, I worked, uh, you know, with great battery researchers at Robert Bosch, which is a big supplier for the automotive industry. So we have so many talented people in our field. And yeah, it's been great to be involved with batteries since this time. And the journey is just starting, so there's a lot more to do. And it seems to me, and it's interesting, as I've dug into all these different sectors where I've had a chance to talk to experts, what I'm learning real quick, and I'd love to know if it's true here as well, but when we're talking, whether it's life sciences, tech, whether we're talking about natural resources, it seems that within the sector, so within this battery community, there's really more of a sense of true community where everyone's, there is obviously a little bit of competition, you know, that, that has to be there, yeah, but necessary. there's a lot of collaboration as well. Yes. So, you know, we were talking a lot about us here, what we do in Dalhousie, but there are brilliant folks all over the world that work on lithium-ion batteries and have made so many important contributions. And we're all reading each other's papers. Right. Tesla is also reading other papers, not only Dalhousie papers. And uh, yeah, it's the whole community that brought batteries to where they are. And the whole community will continue to make improvements. And Qianyan, once again, same question for you that I asked Michael. How did you get here? Because once again, like I said to Michael, this is a heck of a journey for anyone to, to undertake. I and I can only imagine there's sacrifice, there's a lot of late night studying and trying to figure things out. How did you get here? Yeah, unlike Michael, uh, I stayed in the university since undergraduate students to now, right? So I studied uh, physics, phys physics uh, in the undergraduate student. Mm -hmm working on the material physics. And then I got my PhD from the Chinese Academy of Science. Thanks to my mentor there, I have um, got, get a good training on all kinds of energy materials, like energy conversion materials, like thermal, electro materials, like even 
solo sale materials. I working on solo sale for almost four years. And in the end, I also studied a little bit on the energy storage material. So when I finished my PhD, I actually got a, a few offers um, from the all kinds of university in the States. So then it got me thinking. So I, I at that point, I, I just had a feeling that this energy storage is going to be the future. Because the reason I just laid out, right, so every clean energy is depending on that. So I decided to just go into that. So I get the offer from the University of Maryland. And um, there's projects working on the ultra-safe uh, aqueous lithium battery. So I stayed there for almost five years working on that project. Then I got so lucky I can like, come here as a assistant professor and starting working here. So that's, uh, like you said, it's a hell of a journey <laughs> coming here. A lot of late nights, I promised. So, yeah. That's not a surprise. This doesn't happen by chance. I believe that opportunity, there is a component of chance, but what you two have done is very little chance. And I can only imagine the hard work that it's taken to get here. When I look at the drivers, we've talked a lot about the environmental aspects. We've talked a lot about having to make that move away from the current ways and the current relationships, I guess, that we have with energy as a whole. One of the things that comes up here is very much other drivers. Michael, you mentioned safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we could dive a little bit into that because I can remember attending a training on one of the first hybrid vehicles that I ever encountered. And they're like, if you're ever in a collision, you know, this is the wire you want the fireman to cut. <laughs> None of these other ones. That is bad. That's why they're red or orange. But I'm sure there's more to it than just the most traditional forms of safety. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could just dig into that just a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, safety, you know, is one of our four pillars that I mentioned in the beginning, which is just not negotiable. I mean, you just have to be ethical and develop a product that is at best intrinsically safe. Mm -hmm. And lithium ion batteries, of course, there have been incidents, you know, with vehicle fires, also fires in uh, stationary storage products. But the materials that go into a lithium ion battery are very diverse. And this whole material space that we have at our disposal really allows us also to develop batteries that are very safe. You know, you can put in overcharge protection through certain molecules that react at the electrodes when the voltages get high. You can even put really like fire retardants in there, you know, in the electrolyte solution to make it just more safe in terms of a thermal runaway event. But what you need to do really is develop electrode materials that do not react in a catastrophic way if the battery goes to high temperatures. So we do these tests, you know, in our lab where we take even just the material itself that comprises one of the electrodes of the battery, so the cathode, let's say. And then you put it in an instrument where you ramp up the temperature and at some point there's a self-heating and uh, the temperature increases by itself and if you have a material that doesn't do that until you go to 500 degrees celsius Mm -hmm. that's a good material you know so that's the kind of developments we do in the lab to improve safety of lithium-ion batteries so it's a lot about the materials that go inside and then there's of course you know a lot of engineering around the uh, battery cells, which is not so much our strong suit. There are folks at Dalhousie like Lucas Swan that really focus on uh, large-scale battery systems. They do a lot of safety testing. 
but we're mostly concerned about the materials that go into the battery. Right. And to that end, do you feel, as we go into new energy sources at Watch Racing, and obviously certain fuels burn differently than others, and, you know, you start thinking about how this is really just another way of storing that fuel in, say, a vehicle. Is this something where you believe there's a solution, for example, to that safety issue that comes from thermal runaways or Mm -hmm. what have you through what you do and the engineers do? Or is this also something where we're going to have to, as a user of these batteries, understand how to manage them as well? Uh, So I think the responsibility should definitely lie with us, the developers and the people who commercialize the technology. You know that you can't put that on the user. I mean, there are things you can allow the user to do. You know, if you want to cycle your battery a little more aggressively and maybe accept a small penalty in battery lifetime, so you have a little more aging because of the way you use the battery, that could be up to the user. But it must never go to the point where you expose someone to a potential safety risk. And lithium-ion batteries are amazing, you know, in terms of uh, what you can achieve in, in their safety. So you can make them very safe. We talked a little bit about Jeff's vision for the future, the 100-year battery. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your visions of what the future looks like. And then maybe we can loop back around and talk about some of the other projects you have underway. But uh, Qianyan, what do you see as the future? Let's say just even as short as a decade from now. I think what happens in a decade is that we will replace the gasoline car a lot. I think most of the country is responsible enough to like trying to replace at least half of them, right? So that's the start. And I think in the future, if we fortunate enough to discover another solution, maybe in a decade to getting even higher energy density, getting a lower price, getting more safer, much more safer, then we, I, I think the future will be very bright for, for the, all these lithium batteries because we can barely power everything with that. So I'm pretty happy we are investing a lot and um, Hopefully we can work hard enough to figure it out in the future, in the maybe next decade. So I think the future is pretty bright for me. I don't disagree with that at all. I love your vision and I love where that's taking us. I've seen so many things come up, whether we're talking hydrogen, whether we're talking battery, uh, when we're talking vehicles, hybrids and gasoline and all sorts of other things. I think we've certainly set the path we're on right now. But what I like is you're not excluding the potential for other discoveries and other research to guide your path, which I think is really exciting. And that seems to be that truth of the discoverer, which which I just absolutely love. Michael, what about you? You know, whether it's 10 years out or, or further, what, what do you see? Yeah, it's actually crazy. You know, if you think 10 years out, 2031, by that time, yeah. many governments will have banned internal combustion engines. I think a couple of countries like Norway, I believe, right, mm-hmm. um, will not allow them anymore after 2030. So <laughs> we are like in the midst, you know, of a really big change and a lot of transformation of the mobility sector. You know, the Century battery, of course, is a really fantastic dream. And I think it's important to have these uh, visions, you know. And I would just hope, you know, to, you know, make some contributions to 
cheaper batteries. I think that's really important if we want to increase the number of vehicles on the road with battery drivetrains. And longer lasting batteries, yes, that's really, really important. You know, and along the way to getting to the maybe battery that will last a century, you know, we will have a battery last half a century, which yes. is also great, you know. So it's all incremental, right? No, I think there are two big milestones. This 2030 milestone where, you know, a lot of governments will ban ICE engines. And then this 2050 milestone, you know, where we want to have a net zero emission economy and net zero emission world, really. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that this is within our time span that we're active in. Yes. So hopefully we can make some contributions to that. So what do you say to those folks who are holding on to that ice, the internal combustion engine, or those folks who haven't really bought into the idea of that Tesla wall or whatever that battery wall is? Michael, this is your chance. What do do you say to them? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, definitely one thing I believe in, you can't really work with making people feel bad about their purchase decisions or making, working with making people have a bad conscience about their daily habits. You know, it's not the way that you can create uh, change, right? You have to make it attractive for people Mm -hmm. to buy electric vehicles and you make cars that are just more advanced and much more cool, you know, than ICE cars. But I can definitely see that people maybe want to do a nice ride with their really cool Porsche yeah. on a weekend. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think in the future, this will be, <laughs> I think maybe it was even Elon Musk who said, you know, people are still riding horses. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's for I fun and that. not for transportation, <laughs> right? So pretty good. Uh, that, of putting it, I think. Huh? I love that. It's absolutely true. There, there might always be a place for that horse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think we're we're on a heck of a journey. And gentlemen, honestly, you and Jeff and the rest of the folks at Dalhousie and the broader battery community are certainly leading the way. And you know, thank you for doing that. Well, I mean, it's an honor really to spread the word here, and we're happy, you know, that you guys put this podcast together, and it's really fun to be here. So, thank you. And John Yen, any other projects you're working on that you'd love to share with us? I'm always excited about all the other things that these folks that come on the podcast have going on. It just shows the broad nature of these various communities. Yeah, I was because we we just settled in, so we are still yeah. working heavily on our main project, but hopefully in a year or so, hopefully can build up some pipeline projects like ultra safe batteries, mm-hmm. like aqueous battery research, maybe some flow batteries, which is very suitable for the large scale grid storage. And yeah, that's all kind of new technology and next generation solutions mm-hmm. where I really want to look into that and see if we can improve that enough to like make it real in the future. So yeah, hopefully we, we can give you more in, <laughs> in next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd love to have you guys back in a year or two. I'm just imagining that things are going to be so different. Oh yeah. It will be very interesting it's gonna to be hear so what you say. Interesting. In Michael, do you have any projects underway as well? Uh, well, yeah, I have, uh, you know, a little pet project that I like to work on. It's a very small effort, but I think it's nice because it shows how diverse the battery field can be. Mm -hmm. So we call that desalination batteries. 
you know, it works the same way as a lithium ion battery. So you intercalate ions into a host material, but you intercalate ions from salt water. So it's basically a desalination technology, wow. you know, where you remove salt from water. And it's, I think, really a nice place for me here at Dalhousie to work on this because Dalhousie has this really strong focus on ocean science mm -hmm. and uh, there are great researchers in that field that we can collaborate with. So that's a little side project that I work on. Yeah, it's, it's only a side project. You know, might, <laughs> might just find a way to completely change the world with salt water. I love it, Michael. And you guys are so awesome and easy to talk to. That's the one thing I absolutely find with all the experts that have crossed past this table. Just so approachable and so easy to have a conversation with. And that's certainly something that... Uh, I would hope anyone who comes here to Nova Scotia or to Halifax, Nova Scotia, has a chance to sit down with experts like you and, and have that conversation. I know you guys are working right now with my colleague, Jeff Turner, on bringing a, uh, a conference here. Yeah, Jeff has been a uh, big help. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really great to have you guys who know pretty much everybody here in Halifax and Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada. And uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, it would be really great in 2023, 2024 to bring all our battery community, our friends here to Halifax. They can see firsthand, you know, nice ocean, enjoy maritime cuisine, you know. And yeah, we want to invite our colleagues and have a little battery conference here. I think that would be awesome. That's awesome, Michael. So so when, you know, the community comes in 23 or 24, I can imagine they're going to have a chance to see the entire ecosystem that exists here. You know, what else are they going to see when they when they come? Yeah, so that's another good point because, uh, you know, also for us as new researchers here, it's really amazing to be part of this already pretty strong battery ecosystem here in Nova Scotia. So, um, you know, alone at Dalhousie, we have, you know, of course, Jeff and uh, our effort, but then there is also Mark Obrovac, who is a very active professor developing very innovative materials and processes in the chemistry department. I mentioned Lucas Swan, you know, who's more working on the engineering side of uh, lithium-ion batteries. But then, you know, we have these really innovative companies, uh, some of them very young, some of them more established, that do awesome work here in Nova Scotia and really, you know, create employment and develop great products. So there is uh, Novonics, that's a spin-off of Jeff's lab, led by Chris Burns. They are very active in making hardware to characterize lithium-ion batteries, but now actually more of their business is focusing on developing really cutting-edge anode materials, artificial graphites for lithium-ion batteries, and they also have a business sector on cathode materials. And actually, they collaborate with Mark Obrovac on that. And then um, Brian Adams, uh, he is leading Salient Energy that I mentioned before, the company that develops these innovative zinc-ion batteries. And as I said, you know, there are also very established players like Surette Battery, a lead-acid battery company. So it's really cool to have this mix and hopefully this ecosystem will grow in the future. And I think that's something that all these delegates that would come to a conference here in Halifax could see firsthand. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate it. And for those of you listening, what you don't know is it's probably about 45 degrees Celsius in here as it's an uncharacteristically warm and humid day in Halifax. So gentlemen, thank you for that. We'll go and find ourselves some water. And with that, I'm Paul Bailey your host of the Discover Halifax podcast. 
Halifax, Nova Scotia is ready to host you. Whatever you're gathering for, from wherever in the world you are, you'll feel right at home here. Halifax is home to a diverse collection of memorable places to meet and stay. Plus, we have all the collaborators to help your event go off without a hitch. And when it comes to nailing down the details, consider Discover Halifax your partner in planning. Visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to learn more, take virtual tours, and meet Team Halifax. Halifax.